Chair. Alfred. I saw the signal, sir. All is ready. something about Two-Face. His coin. It's his Achilles heel. It can be exploited. I know. You called me here for this. The bat signal is not a beeper. Well, I wish I could say that my interest in you was purely professional. Are you trying to get under my cape, Doctor? <laughs> a girl can't live by psychoses alone. It's the car, right? Chicks love the car. <laughs> what is it about the wrong kind of man? In grade school, it was guys with earrings. College, motorcycles, leather jackets. Now? Oh. Black rubber. Try firemen, less to take off. I don't mind the work. Pity I can't see behind the mask. We all wear masks. My life's an open book. You read? I don't blend in at a family picnic. Oh, we could give it a try. I'll bring the wine. You bring your scarred psyche. Direct, aren't you? You like strong women. I've done my homework. Or do I need skin-tight vinyl and a whip? I haven't had that much luck with women. Maybe you just haven't met the right woman. I saw the signal. What's going on? Nothing. <clears throat> False alarm. Are you sure? Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, uh, joined together by apparently three guests. We got a regular guest and we got my kids in the background. So uh, apologies for any background noise. But uh, my guest today is a guy I've been wanting to get on the show for a long time. And that's uh, Mark Buskett. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Perry. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on it. Uh, I think this is my first time on Superhero. This is, yeah, yeah. I think the last time we talked was Shin Godzilla. So always, uh, always a good chat. Looking forward to it. Yeah, over on um, uh, Japan on Film Podcast, you came on to talk about that uh, a few years back. Um, and uh, before we jump into today's movie, because we got a lot to say, but I did want to give you a chance to kind of tell people a little bit about yourself since this is the first time you're on the show. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, we've known each other for a whole lot, whole long time now. It seems mm-hmm. like. Um, yeah, so I'm a uh, right now I'm a, a associate, no, assistant teaching professor at Syracuse University in the writing department. Um, I've published something like twenty books, maybe at this point. Um, oh wow! I didn't know you had that many out. Yeah, I think like you know. I think it's about 20. Some of them are out of print. Um, but yeah, it's been about 20. Uh, so it's always looking to work on the next thing, you know, being a, being a teacher, you know, I tend to write like mad all summer and then edit once the semester starts. So I think I got, I think I got four books in the tank this summer and now it's just the editing process, getting them going and getting them out to the world. Very cool. Um, and, you know, because this is the superhero cinephiles, what is your introduction to like superheroes, comic books, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, when I was like, like real little, my uncle would buy me like Spider-Man comics. And it's sort of like the, the classic story so many of us have, like he would buy me Spider-Man comics like every month or whatever. I guess it was amazing, just amazing Spider-Man in those days. Um and I uh, went to uh, went to Boy Scout camp one week and I came home and my parents had given me a new bedroom. They took me out of the room I was sharing with my brother and put me into a bedroom all by myself. But somehow in that process, they decided to throw away about 100 Spider-Man comics. Oh, from God. That would be from like the late 70s, early 80s. So mm. not totally not valuable at all. Um, and then, you know, I was sort of sort of not a big comic book fan i guess until i got to like middle school and then mm-hmm. me and my buddies started reading them there was a there was a little convenience store around the corner from where i lived and they had comics and they had some some older comics that they just never got rid of so they had like a the the wire rack and then they had like a box on the floor you could go through and that's sort of where like i really became like a like a superhero fan was you know mid 80s right so that era of you know i was sort of raised on that era of marvel comics where it was like roger stern steve englehart walt simonson mark grunewald john byrne so frank miller so you sort of came in at like one of the best areas to sort of jump into comics and then right you know so you came ever since so you came in with with spider-man um what was kind of your go-to and like your your heyday then was it uh was it spider-man was it just marvel in general or was there like one thing that you like kind of zeroed in on like for it me was, it was it always was... x-men that zeroed in on when i was started for me it was thor okay. it was thor like i just i loved you know i i loved thor like those books were the were the most fun i loved simonson's approach to writing it. i mean he had this wonderful way of balancing sort of like the bombast of the artwork with a really sort of like almost dry or neutral narration right mm-hmm. like so he it seemed and so it wasn't that sort of stanley marvel style where you got like a lot of bombast in both the artwork and the text like it felt like a lot of those 80 books had a, had a much better balance between um sort of like the energy right like you put mm-hmm. more it seemed like simonson put more energy into the into the art let the art do more of the story and so i really sort of loved that approach um you know and then like like stern roger stern like on avengers on spider-man like i love i don't think anybody from that era did like long form storytelling better than roger stern like i just i loved that and it was so i was mostly a marvel guy but i always was checking in with green lantern and batman over and those are my two dc books 
Okay, cool. Yeah, um, back in those days, uh, it was Stern and Claremont were probably the big two guys that were doing a lot of the long form stuff. Yep. Um, and yeah, looking back on it now, I we did uh, we had Will Short on to do um, uh, talk about Avengers Under Siege and um, Stern's writing holds up pretty well, you know, for for the time it was it was written in. Whereas uh, Claremont's narration doesn't hold up as well. I found <laughs> going back to those things. Yeah, I got I got a Marvel Unlimited subscription this year, and like kind of going back through some of some of that old stuff. My my intent was to sort of go back to like start at like contest of champions and just read sort of every big event mm-hmm. right go through the marvel timeline like event by event but good mm-hmm. god when i got to like like inferno right the sort mm-hmm. of the overwriting on so many of like the claremont books and like the x-men books at the time i was like all in on it oh yeah look yeah. looking back on it i'm like you know i i've only got an hour i'd like to read more than like <laughs> 10 pages of a comic book you know yeah you what i think you'll say about claremont is he definitely gave you your money's worth of the text (laughs) (laughs) yeah he definitely did i do find myself when i go back and i reread those claremont stuff i'm just like okay i'm gonna skip some of the like half of these captions (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah sometimes I i do that as well i i also like i mean especially when you're a kid right like you know, I had great experiences meeting like Walt Simonson. I had great experiences meeting Louise Simonson. Mm-hmm. And so I was always really like in the day I would buy everything that they put out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, met, I met Claremont um, when his, his, I think it was his first novel came out. It was a book called first flight. Mm-hmm. And I remember bought, bought it and I stood in line. And when I got up to have him sign it, you know, I had said, uh, I had said just said something like, uh, you know, like, oh, it'd be great to see you write uh, an X-Men novel, you know, and then you could sort of do whatever you wanted in the in the book. And I don't even know what that comment meant, but I was just mm-hmm. trying to say something other than to, like, please sign. Right. <laughs> he looked right. He didn't even, like, look at me. He just looked at the book and, like, signed his name and was like, he's like, I do whatever I want anyways. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of <laughs> like, okay, like, I guess you got the power, you know, do do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's. I've heard of. I've. I've never met him myself, but I've definitely heard about uh, some of those uh, fan encounters with him before. Yeah. Um, but anyway, today we are talking about uh, Batman Forever. Um, and uh, there's one thing I usually ask guests, and uh, just one more thing. But is what is kind of like the thing you're you're really kind of into at the moment? Like could be comics, could be movies, TV shows, whatever. What's kind of like the thing that is grabbing your attention right now? Um, you know, I'm reading, I'm, I, I'm just at the start of book two of Joe Abercrombie's, um, first law trilogy. And I absolutely love it. Like, like I have sort of a love hate relationship with like fantasy books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I read them a lot when I was younger and, you know, like all the forgotten realm stuff, all the Driz Duerden stuff, like crystal shard, like dragons of autumn, Tw- like all that, like, like stuff I, I was totally into. Um, and, and then yeah, I sort of fall out with it. I sort of like, I hit a limit and I can't read it anymore. So I tried to get into it a couple of years ago and I, I picked up um, uh, Patrick Rothfuss's in the name of the wind, which mm. is a book that like people love. And I read it. And or I was listening to the audiobook, and the setup was like amazing. It was like this 
it, it felt like, like almost like a Wolverine story a little bit where you had this like this guy who was like a bartender, but he had this mysterious past. And there was like these monstrous, like I think spiders like out in the like like out in the valley. And he was like, I just want to be left alone kind of thing. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is a good setup. Like, you know, and, and like visitors are coming in and they were like, oh, monsters. And then the book was like, you know, like you're like, oh, yeah, this is like action. Like, let's go. Let's fight some mm -hmm. monsters. And then the book was like, you know, cut to our hero as a teenager. And I was like, <laughs> fuck off. Right. And I just kind of like, like mentally threw the book across the room. And I just I got out of it again. But then I, I picked up uh, the first Joe Aber Abercrombie book there. And it was it's so good. Like, I, I really am loving that right now. Um, you know, I'm back to and during the semester. I have like a two and a half hour drive to work. Oh, um, wow, so that's I, rough. Yeah, I mean, I only got to do it like two, sometimes three times a week. Oh, okay. So I listen to like an, a lot of audio books. And so I always try to like sort of balance off what I'm reading with what I'm listening to. Mm -hmm. So I've been listening to a bunch of like cozy mysteries because they're completely mindless and rough right. and mm -hmm. fun balance off with some some bigger stuff i just read uh this summer i read bullet train um the, oh the one that's that inspired the movies based on that right yeah and i love i hate to be that guy but i love the book and i hate the movie okay <laughs> like but the, the the book is and in fact it he's got other books but I, I don't think they've been translated into english yet but um i really enjoyed that book um, oh so it is a it is a japanese author then Yes. Yep. Okay. I'll have to yep. take a look at that. Um, re really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, between the the first Law trilogy that, you know, I've been, uh, I do my sort of once a year, I read a Clive Cussler book to remind mm -hmm. my, to remind myself how not to write a 500 page book. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that, that's sort of what I, that's sort of what I've been into. And like, um, you know, I always try to, I mean, you know, cause you know, we follow each other on Letterboxd. I always, mm -hmm. I always try to vary up my movies, right? I always try to like watch something really good, watch a B movie, watch something serious, watch a documentary. So just kind of bouncing around, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's sort of what I'm into right now. Speaking of uh, documentaries, that's um, actually, you know, not very, very different from the usual fare over here, but I just finished watching uh, last night, uh, the U S and the Holocaust, the new Ken Burns oh. documentary. Yep. Oh God. That was, that was intense that, going through that. And it's six hours long, but um, I finished watching the last episode um, last night, right before I went to bed. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I've got it recorded. So I'm just looking for six hours to watch it. To yeah. watch it. I mean, it's nice. It's split up in three episodes, but still like it's, two hour episodes at a, at a time it's so it's a lot to take in but it's if um I, if if anyone uh, hasn't seen it yet you know i know this by the time this recording come out comes out it'll be uh it'll be have been out for a while um uh, but definitely you know find it on the pbs app or whatever it's it's definitely worth a watch i, I was even stuff like i thought i knew a lot about this time period and everything happening around the u.s and this at the same time but there's still like a lot of stuff that i didn't know that this documentary brought to light excellent uh but anyway today and we're going to be switching gears talking about something very different and that's batman forever uh now i remember seeing this in the theater when i was like god probably like nine years not ten or nine or ten or something like that at the time um no i think i was a little bit older than that uh, i think 
I think I may have been like 11 or 12, actually. I think it was like in sixth grade. Um, but I remember loving this movie as a kid and, and like watching it so much that I, you know, on VHS, we bought it like right away and just like rewatching this movie endlessly. I had all the toys, all that stuff. And uh, at the time, it was my favorite Batman movie. And now watching it again, uh, first time I had rewatched it was several years back. And now, and I've seen it a few times in the past, like 10 years or so. And it's definitely my least favorite Batman movie now, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting because I I sort of, like I was in nine, when it came out, 95? 95, yeah. Yeah, so I was like 22 at the time. Um, so I was like, probably, yeah, just graduating college. Like it must've come out the summer I graduated college. Um, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I was still like, you know, I got a bunch of like the, they were, I remember they had, a they were selling like, like little like glasses at McDonald's you could get there. Oh like yeah. These, yeah. The, these weird, like coffee cup things. I mm-hmm. got, I got some of those. I mean, I bought the soundtrack, um, but I, I, I hated it. I absolutely hated it, but it was sort of like at the time, like in, in 95, like the kids won't believe this, but there was a time where like, you didn't get 42 new superhero movies mm. every year. Right. Yeah. And it really was, it, there was sort of like this mindset at the time. Like if you didn't go see it in the movies, like you might not get another superhero movie. Right. right. Like it, it always felt like every superhero movie was like, like there were always like these rumors about other superhero movies being in production. And mm. if a new movie came out and tanked, it was like, was that going to like nuke the rest of them? So it's like, you had to go see it. Um, and I, I, and that's, you know, why, when you were asked, like, what did I want, which movie did I want to talk about? The reason I wanted to talk about this one was because I probably haven't seen it in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, what I remember at the time was I hated how corny it was. It felt like a, you know, like a, like a newer version of like the, the Batman TV show. Right. Mm. Which at the time, like when I was a kid, I hated the Batman TV show. Like I did not like it at all. You know, you would watch it on occasion, but I, you know, I never really like enjoyed it. Um, you know, and like 95, I was, you know, if I was like in my twenties then like that was, you know, that's sort of that age where like everything is like a referendum on everything. You want to be, make sure you were listening to the right music and like reading the right books and watching the right movies. And I definitely wanted my Batman to be more serious than what they were given there. And like I said, I haven't watched it in 20 years and, and I've come to really love the, the 1966 Batman Mm -hmm. show. Like, and so I was kind of curious to see if my tastes on this movie would change. I think, um, a lot of us of like the generation X, uh, Zenial, early millennial generation, I think all of us have that kind of love hate relationship with um, the 66 Batman, because especially if we were comic fans going in, <clears throat> because the overveiling image in, in pop culture, in, in, in society in general of comic books was Batman 66. Like every single yep. time there was a, there was a newspaper article with, about comic books the headline always started with like biff bangs up or something and <laughs> yep. just like oh god can you be late any lazier <laughs> <clears throat> yeah and even like i mean I, I you know i watched growing up like a lot of the you know the reruns of like the the spider-man cartoon from that era mm. and you know like watching that show now is painful but at the time it was like if it, it felt like a more grown-up superhero story right? right i mean it's not like not that it was like mature literature or anything but like that cartoon was not like it it wasn't as hokey right it wasn't Mm -hmm. as campy 
Um, and so I sort of, I gravitated towards that, like sort of right from the start. And so, yeah, it was total love hate. I've come to really like appreciate yeah. and genuinely love those, those early Batman, um, sh- the early Batman shows. And, and I love, you know, I would honestly say like the, the Batman 66 movie is no worse than like my third favorite Batman movie. Like oh, I yeah. just, I genuinely love it now. Yeah, it's it's a totally fun movie. And once you just kind of like buy into the campiness aspect of it, it's it's a lot. And I think that's kind of why I've come around on Batman and Robin, because it's more than any other of the movies. It's totally like a a big budget adaptation of the 66. (laughs) Yeah, well, I haven't I haven't seen that either since it came out. And I like I mean, I remember back in the day, I was sort of like like when Batman Forever came out, I was like, well, well this is the worst Batman movie we'll ever see. And then Batman and Robin came out and I was like, Oh, I was wrong. Um, so I am going to sometime in the next week, I plan on watching Batman and Robin and seeing if my tastes have changed on that. Honestly, well. if you put Batman forever, Batman and Robin and Batman V Superman in front of me, and you told me I had to pick one, I would pick Batman <laughs> and Robin without hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> I, it would either be forever or Batman and Robin. Like I, I never want to watch Batman v Superman. No, again. I mean, it's not a good movie. Batman and Robin is not by any means a good movie, but it's it's fun. It, it's a lot more fun than I, than you'll you'll have with Batman Forever or Batman v Superman. I think. Yep. Um. Now we, we're watching this movie last night. One of the things that jumped out to me right away, uh, aside from the fact. And, and the stuff I I'd already knew going into it, like Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones are both basically playing, like are b- both basically riffing on Cesar Romero's Joker, and yeah. and very badly too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also Chris O'Donnell looks way too fucking old <laughs> to be Bruce Wayne's <laughs> ward. It's like there's, it's like he he comes in, he's like, oh, thanks for taking him in. He's like, he, otherwise he has nowhere to go. And I'm like, guys, like forty years old, come on. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that, that felt very forced. Like, I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, it being like the mid nineties, I appreciate that they didn't make him like an extreme athlete or something. Try to like update the, the care, the character. Right. Like I kept expecting him to like roll in on like a skateboard, but it's like, yeah, he, he comes to Wayne Manor on his own motorcycle, right? Like yeah. he's, he's not, he's, he's, he doesn't need to be put into foster care. I know. And we even, <laughs> Bruce even says, you know, how about, you know, Dick Grayson College. So he's college age. He's obviously yeah. an adult. I'm like, I don't understand why he has to go to social <laughs> services. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that either. I didn't, I didn't understand that either. But, but the one thing that really jumped out of me at, and I never, and I can't believe I never noticed this before, even when watching this as an adult. But my God, this is the horniest fucking Batman movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's <clears throat> like. Yeah, it, it, it is like it, it might be. I mean, I would be I would be curious if it is more or less horny than the Batman porn parodies that have been made, because this movie, <laughs> this movie is like it's like from the from the opening scene. Right. When mm-hmm. when Batman lands on the roof, Nicole Kidman's character, they're well, I mean, even Meridian. before that, we got him dressing up in, in yeah. rubber. We're getting like the ass <laughs> shots and the crotch shots and everything. Yeah. It definitely it definitely tells you what's coming like mm-hmm. right right from the beginning right like um I mean but I mean she basically says to him on the roof like let let's go let's go right here you know like, like she's like, like practically, Hi, Batman. 
Yeah, she's 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 down to fuck right from the second he touches down on that roof. Like she's she's like her tongue is almost out of her mouth. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it is it, I, like like <laughs> watching it now. I, I like I put it on this morning. Uh, like I got up. I got up this morning. I didn't intend to watch it like at six thirty in the morning, but like I was up, and so I was like, oh, I'll watch it now. I got I got time. And I put it on, and I was just sort of like whoa 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 <laughs> wait a second <laughs> let me rewind and, and then i was like no no i was like did i fall asleep did i wake up like an hour into the movie it's like no this is like her first scene and she's just like hi batman let's fuck yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> like right here i don't i don't care like just don't take the suit off but like let's go at it right it's just yeah it is it is it is such a horny movie like and it it really is the thing that really amazes me is one of the big complaints that all these parent groups had about Batman Returns was that it was so horny, right? It was yeah. all this, there's so much sexual innuendo. And I'm, and then this one was fine. It was beloved by families everywhere. Like, you know, <laughs> I saw it like, you know, what, three times in the theater or something with parental supervision of some kind, like with a, with an aunt or uncle or with my parents and watched it with my dad. You know, I don't even know how many times on VHS. And I'm just like, how did, how was everyone okay with Bat? How was everyone so worked up over Batman Returns that everyone was fine with Batman Forever, which is just like, my God, a gentle breeze, and everyone in this movie is about is, is going to have an orgasm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, I think I think some of it is is part. You know, part of it is I think is like with Batman Returns, right? It's so dark, mm-hmm. right? That sort of like. I think people end up interpreting like the dark aspect of everything where in yeah. Batman forever, so much of it is played for like a laugh or played with like a funny line or played with like a knowing wink that maybe it doesn't register like at the same amount, but like, I, I, I could not believe watching it just mm. how like, even like, even when like, uh, like when Bruce and um, chase like kiss, like at the end of the movie, like the camera cuts to like Alfred in the background, just like giving him like a smirk, like, yeah, go. It's like, yeah, everybody in this movie is is horny, except for maybe like Dick Grayson. Right. I think, like everybody I think probably else. Alfred is the least horny because Dick Grayson is horny for killing Two-Face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. definitely. Um, but she's and uh, I had posted this on Twitter about how this this is the horniest Batman. And someone commented saying, like, you know what? The weird thing is. It does. It's not even the one with the Prince soundtrack. The one with the Prince soundtrack (laughs) is the least horny Batman movie. Well, I think you know, and like, you know, I think that's just the difference between Burton and Schumacher, right? Like, Mm. I think with Burton, especially like in this era of Tim Burton movies, he's always like, let's sort of take like normal things and find out how we can sort of delve into the weird cracks. Right. right. And show sort of show the weirdness in everybody. And, and so that, that whether that's family relations or, you know, sex, right. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, let's sort of, you know, you know, I feel like, like the, the Burton movies feel like he's trying to make a movie for like people who feel like they've been overlooked. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to make these things like ex- acceptable. And so he's interested in sort of, you know, I don't I don't get a sense with like the Burton movies that he's interested in sex as much as he's interested in like showing the the sort of like the the, the psychology that goes into it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, whereas with Schumacher the Schumacher movie and Batman Forever at least, he's just 
horny you know mm. what i mean it's just like like i'm not gonna like with the burton movies it's almost there's almost like this sense of like hey you don't have to be embarrassed by right. this right like and we're gonna show people that you don't have to be embarrassed by this where the schumacher it's like hey everybody let's put on weird <laughs> costumes and fuck right yeah. like <laughs> schumacher famously said that he had had he estimated he'd had about like 20,000 sexual partners and, and rewatching this movie. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. It, you know, and that, that, that's like, I mean, I had not, I had not heard that before, but that, that's, that makes sense. Like given sort of my like view of these movies where mm. it's like with, with the Burton movies, it feels like sex is like this, like there's a, there's a distance from it right? right there's like a like it's it's whereas with the schumacher movies it's like you know if you had told me that they that they he yelled cut and then they all did a bowl of cocaine and fucked <laughs> for like the next two hours <laughs> i wouldn't have been surprised right well i mean when you look at the the at batman returns it's you've got catwoman and the penguin are like the horniest ones in that movie and they're yep. the they're the outsiders they're the weird ones nobody else in society is in that movie is really like that everybody is pitching a tent in this movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think i think it's like i mean it really shows sort of like you know the value of like like experience not that you need Mm. have sex with twenty thousand partners to make a batman movie (laughs) but i mean i i just think like schumacher doesn't have any it this is a movie that doesn't feel like it has any hang-ups oh no definitely not right like like in terms of like the filming of it like the 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 vision for it like there's no hang-ups for it Mm -hmm. there's no hang-ups with it and like so but I, I guess like to get back to your earlier question now, like it's just sort of popped into my mind, like why were fans okay with Batman Returns and or uh, the opposite rather. Right. There was, there was this sort remember there was like this big freak out because he put nipples on the bat suit, right? There was that, that was, yeah. That was like the biggest thing that fan, the fans got worked up about, <laughs> which is so weird in, in retrospect because that is the least horny aspect of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, and that's sort of where like with batman forever like do i do i like batman forever no No. i hate it it's a terrible movie but i do like like i oddly respect the movie you know Mm. so it's one of those movies where like when i watch it just like in a vacuum i'm like this is terrible but then when i think about it i'm like well there's actually kind of a lot going on here that's kind of like makes me sort of like it from like the outside right mm-hmm. and so i was just thinking of like like how can i like contextualize that and it just it it's sort of like the flip reaction i had of like watching the the shazam movie for a few years ago mm-hmm. where when i just watched the shazam movie i'm like this is a pretty good movie yeah and then when i sort of like think about it like in the context of other superhero movies and what's going on and like you know what the movie kind of represents like i kind of hate it you know, really? like I can't okay. like I can't imagine I'm ever going to watch Shazam again. Like like the second time I watched it, it just irritated like it just irritated me. Right. But I could see that. I could see that if I just watched it in a vacuum, I was like, I would be like, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so like it's sort of the flip of Batman forever. Like when I was watching it this morning, you know, if if I w- if I wasn't going to talk about it with you tonight, I definitely would have had the fast forward button out or I would have like found something else to do with my mm-hmm. life. But then, you know, like the more I thought about it, the more it's like, you know, there's actually like, there's at least a lot here to talk about. And I think like when I watch like Shazam, I don't feel like there's anything to talk about. There's nothing about that movie that sort of gets me, gets me excited, gets me thinking, gets me, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas with this one, there's, 
you know, there's a ton of stuff here to talk about. So well, yeah, you had a, you had a really interesting thing you post on, uh, on letterbox about it. And I want to let you go off on that in a minute. Cause like my whole thing was, which just kind of blew me away because reading your, your, your whole thing, your review on letterbox this morning, I'm just like, wow, he's put a lot more. My whole thought is just like, <laughs> man, this Batman is 40. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I just, so my, my basic take was sort of like, like, how do you get through this movie? Like when mm. I was watching it, I was like, I can't fast forward because I, you know, I want to do my, do my homework. I want to be prepared. Um, you know, usually like when, when we talked about Shin Godzilla, I mean, I think I watched the movie two or three times and I, I was watching it as we were talking about it. You mm. know, it's like, I want to be prepared. I want to have good comments. When I was watching this this morning, I was like, there's no way I'm going to watch this a second time. And it was like, how do I sort of like, like get through this movie and sort of the only way I can do it is you know what i had said on letterbox was like like this isn't a this isn't a movie like this isn't actually a batman story this is like the michael keaton batman having a fever dream right mm. where it's just because it feels like like batman is the most boring character in this movie oh right? yeah yeah you know and it's like it, it it feels i mean it feels to me like sort of like somebody trying to figure out their life. And that's why I said, like, like I just, I pretend it's a Michael Keaton fever dream. Like we're going to get to the end of the movie. You're going to get to the end of the credits and the post credits is going to be like Michael Keaton, like waking up out of bed and like mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer is in the shower or something. Right. Like yeah. it's going to, they're going to pull the Dallas, you know, reboot on you. Um, and so wow. it just, it, it feels because it, to me, it feels like, like, like it, like it feels like a very sort of, like if you say that this is a movie like from like the perspective of bruce wayne or or batman it feels like a movie that's very about a guy who just like he's very conflicted about himself and he's Mm. very conflicted about his place in the world but he's also kind of like young and mature enough or immature enough that like everybody is horny for him yeah (laughs) like like chase meridian wants to fuck batman edward nigma wants to fuck bruce wayne Mm -hmm. right uh Two-Face, which I think the funniest part about this movie to me is that they keep calling him Harvey Two-Face. Like, yeah, like I thought that was name. so weird, even as a kid. <laughs> like Harvey Two-Face like <laughs> wants to kill him, right? Which is sort of, I mean, I know they give you a little bit about why that is, but it just sort of feels kind of kind of random and just you're supposed to take it, take it on credit. And then like the like the Robin character is like, I sort of saw that as like if we look at that as like the Michael Keaton character sort of reassessing like his life, Mm -hmm. like have I made mistakes? And then you get this kid who comes along with sort of the same situation. And it's like your chance to like, let this kid not make the same mistakes Mm -hmm. that you've made. So. Well, even the fact that it's, you know, it's Val Kilmer in this too. Like when, when I'd read that, I had also thought I'm like, well, that even, even Val Kilmer being in this instead of Michael Keaton does work for that. Cause it's like, this is like how he pictures himself. Right. And it's like the, the image of the, of the of the handsome playboy but really he's you know kind of insecure and buffoonish and i thought like because like you know when you look at him like val kilmer he looks the part of the international playboy right he looks that yep. he totally more than anyone else i think even bob kane even said that val kilmer was the closest to how he imagined bruce wayne looking and yep. and yeah you definitely see that but when you see like the way he interacts with with chase like he's he's not playboyish at all no no like val kilmer is at least in this era of batman 
Val Kilmer's the only one who looks like he could actually kick your ass, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. I mean, he looks like like oh, maybe I don't want to piss this guy off. Um, but his his character is is so flat, and of course, like you know. I think the scene that always gets me to like roll my eyes and groan, of course, is like the infamous smile, right? Like when mm. he goes to, when he goes to chase, you know, she says, come by my place at midnight. He shows up as Batman and she tells him like, she's chosen essentially says, you know, I've chosen Bruce over you. And he turns around and he walks out of the darkness and into the light and he gets that goofy smile on his face. It just feels like this is a guy who like, hasn't had many like relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know? And I mean, even him saying like, like telling Alfred about about uh, Chase that like this is the first time I've been in love, right? It's sort of like, oh, did the <laughs> did the last two movies we're not doing that? That, that sort of jumped like, out to me too. I'm like, and especially because they and it'd be one thing if you looked at this as a, as a reboot, which it in a way it is, but they reference Batman Returns in it, right? So because yep. he because he <laughs> says there's that there's that scene when she says, "Do I need skin tight vinyl and a whip to get your attention?" Absolutely, absolutely, right? And it's yeah, it, it's. So it, it's sort of it's it, it's sort of like like weird, but I I did want to add right sort of the 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 moment that got me thinking about maybe this is just like a fever because at first I was like maybe this is just like like a teenage kid in therapy right mm-hmm. or this is like a, like a like a a dream of like Bruce Wayne as like a seventeen year old. There are two moments in the film that sort of like put that idea in my head. The first is Two Face at one point calls him like my boy or something mm-hmm. right. Right. And like Val Kilmer is a grown ass man, like, but he refers to him as like, like my boy. Yeah. And then later in the movie, when, when Val Kilmer wakes up after he's been like knocked out, um, Alfred calls him young man. Mm. And like Bruce says, like, oh, you haven't called me that in a long time. And so I was kind of like, oh, that's it. I'll just think of this movie as a Michael Keaton fever dream and it will sort of get me through it. Um, because it is like that, that sort of, one of the things that fascinates me about this movie is I think this is like the, like the only one maybe where he seems much more comfortable, like, like being Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne seems much more competent than Batman in this one. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like, you know, even like the opening scene when he's putting on all the armor and he's getting all the weapons and stuff. Right. I mean, there's that sense that he has to like put on all of these, like accoutrements to go out mm. and do his business. Whereas with most Batman, especially the later ones, it's just, you feel like they can just go out, right? There's not like that emphasis on, on the armor necessarily. Right. But this right. guy feel like the way, the fact that this movie starts with him putting on armor, right. I don't think it, I don't think is, is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when, when Bruce goes and does his, his, his scene where he meets Edward Nigma for the first time. Right. And, he's very confident there. Like in the Ed Begley character is trying to sort of dismiss Edward Nigma, and Bruce is like, kind of like, no, I want to listen to him. And then even when he hears the plans and he's kind of horrified by it, he's like, give me your schematics, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do a write-up of it. And then when, when Nigma is like, no, I need to know right now. He's like, well, then the answer is no. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's this like real confidence with him as Bruce that doesn't always come through. Like, quite often in in the Batman movies, like, you know, Bruce always feels like an accessory, right? Mm. It's like, you know, and it's sort of childishly. I always, sometimes I look at the Bruce scenes as like, these are the scenes that they have to put in the script because the actor wants to see their face on camera, right? (laughs) Like, 
one of the things I liked about Batman Returns, I thought did really well was they kind of, they did a really good job of separating that public persona of Bruce Wayne and like the, the real Bruce Wayne, because there is yep. my favorite scene in that movie is at least my favorite Bruce Wayne scene is when he goes to meet with Shrek and, and, you know, Shrek has this attitude of like, you know, I'm the big business guy. I'm going to bully this billionaire into doing whatever I want. And then Bruce comes in and he's just like laying it all out there. And he's like, he's like, yep. I, I'm actually a lot smarter than you think I am. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that that whole idea of like this being like this fever dream, even the whole thing with him and Chase falling in love, right? I mean, he's because Chase Meridian is like the most unethical psychiatrist ever. <laughs> she's she's obsessed with Batman. She's obsessed with this this clearly psychologically damaged guy. And then she's meeting Bruce Wayne. And like, after their first session, she's going out on dates with him. I'm like, yeah, somebody's calling, somebody's <laughs> got to call some uh, certifying body here. Well, and, and that, I think that's sort of like that kind of like that sort of like interior film logic is, you know, sort of plays into this idea that it's a fever dream because it's like, like when you're young and immature mm. and maybe not, so good with women or like you know you haven't had a lot of relationships if you have like an immature like like what is like a teenage boy or maybe like a little bit older like you know what is he going to be attracted to right and so it's like this idea that this incredibly like he knows it can't just be like sort of a you know like a like a caricature of a woman right it's not like mm. a like a playboy thing but it's like here's this super intelligent woman who just wants to fuck your brains out. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, you know, like that's kind of how like a little kid or not a little kid, maybe, but like maybe how like a teenager looks at a world. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. You know, somebody who hasn't been through some like ups and downs and real relationships and knows people on like an intimate level. And it's, you know, and it's sort of like, because, you know, Chase just, I mean, she throws it out there. Like in almost every scene, she throws it out there. I mean, she, and, she calls him up to the roof of police headquarters <laughs> in her fucking lingerie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And then it, and then like the flip of that is, you know, the, the Riddler, like in his cubicle, his cubicle looks like a teenager's like bedroom wall. Right. Yeah. Like he's taking all these pictures of Bruce from like tiger beat and has it like, you know, tacked <laughs> up around his cubicle. Like, like he's as into Bruce Wayne as Chase is into Batman, right? Yeah. And so it's like, and so that just like, you know, I can imagine if you try to put yourself in like Bruce's shoes, right? Like, like when you're when you're young, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do, you've got all this money, you want to make an impact on the world, you have anger issues, right? You want to make sure nobody else goes through what you go through. Mm -hmm. You know, but yet then you can probably do more good as Bruce Wayne. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's always sort of like the, you know, to me, like the, the Bruce Batman divide is like Batman can do more good on sort of like a one-to-one -one level, mm -hmm. but Bruce could do more good on like a city level. Right. And I think the, the dream logic really works for that because you see him doing a lot as Bruce Wayne, like the charity thing, the, uh, yep. when, um, uh, when, you know, after, uh, you know, Stickley dies and he says, you know, I want his family to have full benefits. He's like, well, the suicide's not covered by the insurance plan. He's like, yeah, I know, but give him full yep. benefits anyway. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's, it feels like a movie where somebody's trying to like, you know, figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. Of course, then like 
the movie is also so dumb. It's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like somebody's actually trying to figure it out. Like it, it feels like a, like a hyper version of that. Right. Or like a 3am version of that where, yeah. you know, sort of like your, you know, your mind unspools a little, right. And sort of like the, you know, the, the darker aspects maybe come out, the self-doubt maybe comes out, you know, the, like the face, the masks come off at that time of night. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's why the dream logic makes so much more sense because this movie logically, even within the world of the story, nothing really makes sense. <laughs> like he gets these two cards and just right away, you know, she's like, oh, he's clearly obsessed with you. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's hom homicidally obsessed with you. And she's like, she gives this diagnosis just based on these two cards. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, well, this is clearly only in the movie because we know this has to happen. Right. Well, this, well, and you know, like I, I, I said in my review, like, like I want to, I want to write a story. I want to write the comic version or a short story version of like the people who had to build this like massive secret headquarters in like three days or something. Yeah. Right. It's like, like all of a sudden, like the Riddler has this massive facility out on this Island, right. With mm -hmm. booby traps and like concert synchronized lighting, like, like none of it actually looks real. And like, and that's, you know, like when we talk about like, like I kind of hate it, but I kind of also like adore in some ways the sets in this movie are mm. like gorgeous. I mean, this is a gorgeous movie to just watch, like say what you want about the costumes, but the costumes look like, like they belong together. Right. Like yeah. the costumes are, they're fantastic costumes. They're outlandish, but they're fantastic costumes. And like the whole world just, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like he's actually in Gotham. Right. Well, even with like with, Jim Carrey's evolution as the Riddler it really plays into that like you know descending into the because he starts off wearing like the the green suit loose fitting and then it just it evolves until by the end he's in this skin tight white sequin leotard yeah yep <laughs> yeah and and it like the way Gotham is lit too like with like with the Burton movies Gotham feels like a fake place but like mm. a real fake place like it feels like it's like narnia or middle earth or something right it right. doesn't necessarily feel like it's a real city it feels like it's a you know like a like a like a fantasy version of like a real city right but it feels real mm. like even if it, like in its fakeness it still feels real it feels like that city has a pulse right this movie just feels like a set like i don't get a sense of like the actual people like in this movie it, like at all right even well, I mean, like like the crowd shots and stuff it just it like everything feels like the only things included here are the things that like matter to bruce right and i think that there's one scene that really jumped out at me when he's when chase uses the bat signal and he's driving to police headquarters where there's this one shot of the batmobile driving at like ground level and then it the camera pans up and the batmobile is driving across this weird bridge that goes yeah. between buildings <laughs> or something and i'm like I mean, if you want the clearest example that this is not a real city. That's the shot right there that does it. Yeah, and there's there's even like there's very few shots in the daytime in this, but but one of them is when Bruce pulls up with his Jag. I think mm. it's with the first time he meets, like he he goes to see Chase as Bruce, right for right. the therapy session or whatever it is, and like he pulls his Jag up, and it's the middle of the day in Gotham City, and there's like no other cars around, right? Yeah. And it's always a convenience of the movies that there's always a parking spot, like right out in front of whatever building, like your character has to go, go in. But like this, there's like nothing else, right? He could have, he could have picked 400 parking spots, you know? 
there's also that weird time jump when he sees the bat signal, right? He's talking to Enigma at Wayne Enterprises. Then he sees the bat signal and it's like middle of the day or something, or like it's dusk, yeah. right? And then he goes to visit Chase and all of a sudden it's like the middle of the goddamn night. And I'm like, yeah. why is why is Commissioner Gordon going to bed at like five o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, yeah. Well, but even, and even like, like Commissioner Gordon, right? Like I love Pat Hingle as like an actor, mm-hmm. but like this version, particularly like the Batman Forever version of Pat Hingle, He's like this kind of congenial, like I, it feels like he should be solving like a cozy mystery. And like, I know, you know, like a, like an island in Maine. Right. Not that he's like police commissioner of like the biggest police force in the country. Although this is the most involved police commissioner ever. Right. Like even like a <laughs> potential suicide he's going to investigate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm starting to think that Jim Gordon is like the only cop in the city because he's doing he's, invo- he's, he's getting involved in all these little things. Yeah, well, like, I, like you know, you can't help, or at least I can't help, sometimes when you watch a movie, and it's like, I don't care how big the movie is, I don't care how big the budget is, there you're always looking to, like, there's always corners that are cut somewhere, mm. right? Yeah. And with this movie, it's like, did they spend so much on the salaries of all these stars that it was, like, they got no money for, like, background characters? So it's it's just, like, it's you know, the stars really are like involved here. There's no like these extra characters that feel like like they've been included to like make the world feel bigger, right? Whereas like like when you watch uh, like th- like the, the Robert Pattinson Batman movie, that feels like it's this congested city and he's right. almost being like consumed by the city. There's so mm-hmm. many people in it. There's so many things going on. And, you know, and this, it builds into that idea of this is like a fever dream. It's it's like the non-important characters just just aren't there. And when we do get the crowd shots, they're they're oddly like celebratory of Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, you know, he shows up at like the auction and people are like, hey, it's Batman. Cool. You know, it's like yeah. you, you're being shot at, you know, like, I don't know, maybe run or something. So one of the things I will say that I like that this movie attempted that the Burton movies didn't do, because, you know, in in Batman Returns, Batman's only on screen for like 20 minutes in the whole movie. But yeah. there is a lot of Batman in this movie, actually. A lot, far more than I remember. Yeah, well, it's a horny movie, right? And I <laughs> yeah. guess if you're going to make a horny movie, you want people in their costumes and not not walking around in like a three-piece suit, I guess. I guess. Although but, it does... So that's one of the interesting things. Like, there's so much more Batman in this movie. And this Batman is a lot more action or there's a lot more action in this movie than in the Burton yep. films like that scene when he goes to the bank to stop them like I'm like wow this Batman's actually fighting he like barely did that in the last two movies <laughs> yep yeah it, I mean it, it's it's a it's a you know I think like it it plays into this idea that it's sort of it's a more visceral like sort of Batman mm-hmm. experience here right and like you, you know that's sort of like that thin line between like violence and sex right mm-hmm. where it's like you know because because Batman is sort of the most, you know, non-sexual character in the movie. Like he doesn't walk around like, like, you know, like he's horny like everybody else. No, right. No, I mean, he's no. certainly interested in Chase, right? But it's what gets him excited is when Chase picks Bruce over Batman, right? So it's like he's looking for like like more of a connection, but he's got to do something with all that energy, and mm-hmm. sort of like it comes out in like violence, right? And it's the same thing with like you know, Two-Face, like Two-Face and Batman are sort of like the, you know, the, the violence partners in the film. Right. Something else too that jumped out at me is, because um, one of the things that annoyed me about this movie for so long uh, is 
when he's talking to Dick and he's giving him the whole speech about not killing. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, you killed like, you know, a hundred people in the last two movies, if you're the same guy, <laughs> but now watching it last night, it makes a whole lot more sense, especially in light of that dream thing. Right. And it's, if you look at this, like uh, almost like a post-traumatic response to the events of Batman returns. And that's why he's having this, this fever dream. It makes so much more sense because like, well, yeah, he's killed all these people and it, you know, it didn't really do much in the long run. Yep. And so now he's, he's saddled with all this guilt, you know, the woman, the love of his life has twice has walked out on him, right? Vicki Vale left him yep. at, off screen. And then, you know, Selena fakes her death and then runs off on her own. And, and he knows she's still alive. That, that scene at the end hints that he knows that she's still alive somewhere out there. So yep. he's got this fear of abandonment. And so then he's, and that all like that that speech to Dick makes so much more sense in that light where he's saying like you know, so you go out to to kill Harvey but your your pain doesn't die with him it grows, and then you go out to find another another and that makes sense because he killed the Joker and then in Batman yep. Returns he's going on a fucking murder spree, yeah. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it it makes so much more and now he's he wants and then then this woman who is in in, in Batman terms a normal <laughs> normal <Yeah>. person. <laughs> Who wants, who is totally DTF and it, it, yeah. it totally, everything makes so much more sense that way. And it's, it's sort of like, it, cause it presents, it presents chase as sort of like, like, like uncomplicated, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't have to figure things out. It's like, she's going to tell you exactly how she feels. And then what he gets tripped up on is like, he just can't commit to like, like, like letting Batman sort of have the lead, right? Mm. He wants, like for him, like the, the, the Kilmer Batman definitely feels like this is a guy who puts on a costume, right? Yeah. That this is not like two like warring minds that Batman mm. and Bruce are like different people. It feels like he's putting on a costume and he right. wants, and you know, this, you know, the, if he's got PTSD after the last two movies, right? If he's struggling with sort of what's gone on in those last two movies, if he's struggling with like, abandonment and potentially his failings as like a, a, a superhero that you know uh chase is sort of like you know uncomplicated to batman but he wants her to like want bruce right like he wants bruce to matter and th mm -hmm. this feels like a film where really they want bruce like he wants bruce to matter mm -hmm. right he doesn't want to get lost in all of this and mm -hmm. so in some ways it's like i know i'm in the minority but I love, I'm going to jump tracks here. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love the, I love the clown scene in Octopussy, right? When James Bond uh -huh. is dressed as a clown and he's completely ineffective at getting, and I know that drives most people like nuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, most people are. And like, and like, but for, for me, like, I love that scene because the Bond movies give so much lip service to like, he's, he's becoming this, you know, I mean, way before um, it gets said in the, the Dalton era that he's sort of this anachronistic dinosaur, right? Mm -hmm. That he's getting too old to do this, that the world is changing underneath him. And like, that's the scene where they like, like let it happen, like on screen, right? They show that like the world is changing. He can't just, just stop it and people aren't mm -hmm. listening to him. And so I sort of love like that, like the vulnerability of that moment. And it's sort of the same thing here. I love that they let Bruce be a little bit vulnerable mm -hmm. in this film and that they actually, they actually show it, right? It, it's not this, they don't just give lip service to it. Now, 
is it annoying as hell when like <laughs> when like chase is like you know essentially he said like he shows up as batman chase is like i'm no longer dtf mm. i like even uh, when she's naked and draped in a sheet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like- and he's like that makes him smile right because mm-hmm. he'd rather have love than lust mm-hmm. um but then he goes home and he starts like shutting off the bat cave first of all in ways this movie doesn't make any sense not only building the riddler's lair in like three days or whatever like like the way batman decides to not be batman anymore is he's got a remote control and he can walk around the bat cave and just turn off turn off the batmobile turn off the computers turn off the like turn off the lights all with like one remote control Mm -hmm. right like Oh, okay, I guess, but like, yeah, he, he had a harmony one. I mean, come on, yeah, <laughs> that, that that drives me that drives me nuts. That, that like she chooses Bruce, and so then he goes like, okay, well, I can't be Batman anymore. I'm just gonna give it all up, right? It's like, but and that feeds into this idea that like, you know, the person if this is a dream, if this is somebody who's like trying to work out their own issues, mm-hmm. right? You sort of have to take it to these like ex- extreme swings right where it's like maybe i will just give it up like you have to at least like sort of run through that possibility mm-hmm. and so if if you're somebody who is like okay i don't know what i want to do i'm going to have this fantasy this fever dream about like i'm going to give up being batman and i'm going to just be bruce mm-hmm. well you know and and robin is there going like essentially like no you can't give up like the violence right you can't give that up right and what does he do? Like, he's like, well, Chase is coming over for dinner, right? Yeah, that whole... And then they they immediately get attacked again, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, you have to, like, in your brain, like, if you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease out this possibility. Like, let's see what happens if I just be Bruce. And immediately violence comes, like, mm-hmm. knocking on your door. Literally, literally comes yep. knocking on the door. And, you know, that, in the logic of this movie, that whole sequence makes no sense like first off he's being manipulative as hell with chase right where he's like he's like i'm gonna go to you as bat you've been wanting batman this whole time and he's been pushing you off so i'm gonna go to you with batman i'm gonna come on to you hard so in hopes that you're gonna turn me away so that then i'm gonna say like (laughs) oh i understand you found someone else and then i'm gonna tell you by the way i'm actually bruce wade Um, and then you decide okay Chase wants me, so I'm done being Batman. Never mind the fact that there are two super criminals who are, just, <laughs> who are still out there, and I haven't dealt with them because they just tried to blow me the fuck up, and <laughs> I failed, but they're still out there. Right? They're still well, and running you, around. And you know their intentions are, like, like not good. Yeah. Like even, if, even if you're willing to say, like, okay, well, Two-Face is really doing all this because he wants to come after me. Mm. So, like, I can handle that one-to-one. You, you've got Edward Nigma trying to like brainwash like the entire city, you know, and he's right. like, I'm just going to hang out here yeah. with Chase, you know, like we're going to be in love, you know, and not and not do anything about that. I and mean, so it's like I can understand it if if you did like in Batman and, and Robin where two where Mr. Freeze gets arrested, he gets put in Arkham Asylum. OK, so now I can understand why you would think it's OK to a good time to quit. That would yeah. make sense. But in this movie, it doesn't make sense. It yeah. also annoyed me when Spider-Man 2 did that when. um Peter's powers are flaring in and out and he just doesn't care about the fact that Doc Ock is still out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, and it's always, you know, the, you know, our late great friend, Derek Ferguson, we, we used to say all the time, like, I I don't want to watch a movie 
I don't want to watch a superhero movie about somebody who doesn't want to be a superhero. Right. 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 Like, I, like I'm not, in, I'm not interested in that like at all. And so when you sort of get to that moment of the film now, luckily, because this film is like, you know, on speed, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, it's like once one scene, you know, his, his like retirement lasts all of like one scene. Right. right. And then he's, he's right back into the world. And I will, I will say that sequence. I totally agree with you about like Bruce's manipulation of chase mm-hmm. there. But that does give me my absolute favorite scene of the movie, I think, which is the Riddler and Two-Face uh, breaking into Wayne Manor by waiting for the trick-or-treat kids to leave because <laughs> they could get the gate open. <laughs> and so when the gate opens to let the kids leave, they sneak inside with their, you know, army of henchmen. Mm. <laughs> it's just like... That is the mo- that's probably the smartest part of like the whole movie. Like like that. I, I was I was also trying to figure out where did they get the masks? Because they, <laughs> they came up with this plan when they saw the so I'm like, part of me is wondering like, oh fuck, what did they do to those kids? Well, and, but but that's you know it's dream logic. Mm-hmm. Like this yeah, movie exactly. exists on like dr- on dream logic. Well, right? even like, like with with Dick leaving, because remember he says that because you know when he shuts down the Batcave and Dick's like he's like you can't stop me I'm gonna go after Two-Face then he you get that scene of him he takes the costume he gets he takes his bike he's leaving Wayne Manor after Bruce wakes up you know he says you know Alfred says Master Dick has run away and they go down to the Batcave he's like there's one bat suit left and all of a sudden here comes Dick walking down the steps (laughs) in a Robin costume and I'm like yeah when did this happen (laughs) I thought he ran away (laughs) well even like Alfred is like you know I did some alterations it's like Mm -hmm. Those are pretty serious alterations. Especially because the costume was just a cloth thing like 10 (laughs) minutes earlier. Yeah. Well, like, you know, if, if, uh, if like, like Robin's uh, like acrobat uniform got like damaged Mm. and Alfred had to like alter like Robin's dad's uniform, right? Like, Mm. like tuck it in a little, like, you know, make the arms a little short or whatever. You could see him doing that in Mm. like, you know, in an hour, but this is like a completely new costume. Like, yeah, as they love to tell you hard rubber outfits, I can't imagine hard rubber is an easy fabric to negotiate. Yeah. (laughs) I'm wondering, do they they have, do they learn how to vulcanize rubber so quickly? Do, Do they have like, do they have a machine out back, like with a mold? And then if so, they're not the same body type. Mm. Like how, how much can you do with this? But it's, it's just dream logic. It, is the dream movie, logic. it makes so the much movie is going to give you yeah. whatever, whatever it needs in that moment. It will just, it will just provide, right. It will, it will just provide it for you. And I got to say, I was, as a kid, I, you know, I loved the, the, the idea of Robin, right. So as a kid, I thought it was so cool that we're finally going to see Robin in a Batman movie. Yep. Um, and and I'll give them credit. Like, I do like the, what they did with the uniform. I like they were true to the comic book, but they still made yep. it fit in in this world. And I, I like that they didn't compromise on it, which really annoyed me when they did uh, Batman and Robin, where they basically gave him the Nightwing outfit instead. Yep. Uh, but I loved what they did. It was so comics accurate. Like, this is, um, up yep. until Titans, this, well, I mean, you know, not a whole lot of stiff competition, but this was the best Robin had looked on screen. Yeah, And absolutely. And, and so when he, but the thing is, it's like, this guy's got no training and you're taking him out to fight these two criminals. And right away, it's like, as if <laughs> telling you why you shouldn't have a partner, he gets kidnapped the second he gets out there <laughs> and he's yep. just completely useless. He is. Well, I, and that's like, you know, there are moments in this film that I genuinely love. And one of them is when he steals the Batmobile <laughs> and like, he opens, he opens the canopy 
And, it, you know, everybody comes over to the battle and be like, oh, Batman's here, Batman's here. And he opens the can of me and he stands up and people are like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, <laughs> I'm Batman. And they're like, you're a kid. And he's like, I forgot my suit at home. And they're just like not buying it like at all. Right. Like, but that, again, I think, that I think they fits. do a good job showing there because he's able to sort of handle himself mm. like sort of one on one on the fights. Right. Right. But but there is like a whole world of difference between like taking a few classes versus like somebody who's got who's been spent all this year all these years all this experience training you know to be a superhero right well i think and that also plays into the whole dream logic thing you're talking about because the fact that like you said he's this idealized version of batman this guy who has a chance to do things differently but at the same time and again this is like the batman part of bruce like edging itself back in like he doesn't know what to do he needs batman there to show him the ropes so it, it's that Batman side pulling Bruce back into it. Well, and it's also it's also like like we're saying everybody in the movie is like horny for Batman. Mm. Like everybody in this film like exists so Batman can figure out like a side of himself, mm-hmm. right? And the the Robin part is like as much as you know Bruce maybe has like this self loathing about like what he's done and like the the mistakes he's made, you know. And at first he's very adamant like. You know, you can't, you can't kill Two-Face. I'm not going to help you do this. Like, yeah, like it just, it leads to like darker and darker sort of like mental periods. Right. It's also like Robin goes out and gets in trouble and then Batman has to save him. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's still like this, you know, like Robin still needs him. And so it's still yeah. feeding the ego of like, of, you know, like Bruce trying to figure out who he is. And I, I will say, I think for me, sort of like, like, like the climax of the movie, which is a dangerous word to say, given how horny this movie is. But like, <laughs> for me, sort of like the, like the sort of the narrative climax of this movie, it's not any of the punching or kicking. It's when Bruce tells Dick, like, like essentially says like, I'm not going to stop you from killing Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Like you have to make that decision on your own. Right. It's like this acceptance of like, you have, you really do have to make your own way. Right. right. And you have to make your own choice in in what you do and then live with those consequences. And so it's a way for him to sort of like, you know, like give up that that control. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think and going back to something when you're talking about the chase thing and how she's she's very uncomplicated, very clear on what she wants. You know, she wants to fuck Batman. She wants to fuck Bruce Wayne. And but not only that. But the fact that she's a psychiatrist, right? Not only does she is she is she gorgeous as hell. Not only does she want to fuck you every which way possible as Batman and as Bruce Wayne, but she can also tell you everything that's fucked up yeah. about you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like like she is the like sort of this idealized woman for him, mm-hmm. right? Like like you know, and that sort of adds to this this idea of this being like a fever dream or like a therapy session. Like she is on the one hand smart enough to like fix you yeah right like she can figure out all of your sort of mental problems which you know maybe you're not willing to sort of like discuss openly but like Mm. you know in a fever dream or in therapy or in the darkest part of the night you know when you let these these fears out she can fix you but also she wants to fuck your brains out like nonstop, right (laughs) so it's like you know that's what he needs he needs somebody who can fix him and then fuck him and then fix him and then fuck him and then fix you know it's exactly yeah she's like this like the perfect woman for this this version of the character and something else that noticed that i noticed here is that everything around batman is just so horny and 
it explains why, and again, this goes to the fever dream logic. It explains why Val Kilmer looks so dumbfounded as Batman a lot of the times <laughs> because he's looking around. He's like, this is a, stuff is a lot hornier here than I remember. And it's like, and I, I think I'm starting to feel a little horny now myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is, it is like really amazing to me how sort of vanilla his character mm. is like just how yeah. sort of like blend and in some ways like like i really admire the film for that because it's like without like pushing it on you like just you know it leaves it up to you to figure it out but like clearly this is a guy going through like a lot of stuff mm. right and even in the context of the of the movie like he will slowly admit that like as as the film goes on right he sort of he becomes more comfortable talking to chase about that stuff if not with anybody else right um but the movie doesn't sort of like like shove it down your throat at first right it, it sort of like lets you sort of realize slowly that this is sort of a different different take on the character right. um but that being said like bland as hell but yet he's like totally bland and yet he still tries to get off like sort of the cheesy one-liners and stuff too like he still has these moments where it's like you know especially with chase like mm -hmm. you know i can make a pun too or hey i can do witty banter and it's mm -hmm. like well you're not very good at witty banter it's you know it's 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 sort of like uh like um he can get away with it because he's got the Batman costume on. Right. And he's got yeah. like this woman who just wants him. And so whatever he says is going to be funny in that moment. See, That's another thing is that the humor in this movie is because I know a lot of people bag on the MCU for, for forced humor, but I think this movie is, it's so much worse in this movie because it just, yeah. it feels, there's at least an attempt in a lot of the MCU films. Some of them push it too far, but there's an attempt for the, the humor to feel more organic, more natural to the characters. It does not feel natural at all no. in this movie. Like when he, you know, when she's coming on to him and he's trying to say like, you know, the bat signal is not a toy and all yeah. this. And then, and then he, and then he's making quips about how it's the card, right? Chicks dig the car or I'll get yeah. drive through and all. It's just like, it's, it's very clear right from the start. It feels like those are studio notes, right? That's yeah. like, we need it. We need it. We need a quip here. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will say for a movie that I didn't, I didn't like at the, at the time, like when I was watching this movie, there was like nothing that surprised me. Like, like there was no scene where it was like, Oh yeah, that happened. Like mm. I have this, this film like seared into my brain. So I must've watched it enough between like 95 and 2000 or something. Right. And, and you know, the fact that like sort of what I forgot was sort of like where do these scenes happen in relation to each other. Mm. And the fact that the film starts with like a McDonald's commercial, right? Like I'll be drive through. It's just like, Oh God. Like, Cause really? I remember we that being, it was, part of mcdonald's ads i remember yep. at the time and i'm just like yep. and i thought it was just done because remember like they did with the first batman movie they did a pepsi they did a diet coke ad yep. and it i remember it was it they had it before the, the movie on the vhs copy where it's you know alfred's on the phone to the store and and it, it cuts away to bruce to batman in the Batmobile. he's like he's like we ran out of we're on our last diet coke and you know a gentleman is coming <laughs> to pick some pick some up and he, he you'll recognize his car and then it just like and it's, but it was just a commercial made for yep. the commercial. It wasn't part of the movie. Yeah. This is a well, commercial that was included yeah. in, in the opening credits. So, so two things on that. The first is just to, to jump back for a second. Um, in terms of like the humor, mm -hmm. this is like, this isn't a superhero movie. Like this isn't a Batman. This is a fetish movie. This is a oh, camp God, movie. Yeah. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It's a camp movie where people are wearing like the costumes from the Batman film that was filmed like, 
in like in the studio before this right yeah. like and so it's it, it, like it's it, it's a movie that exists for those jokes and those one-liners right so it's like you know it, like of course it, it feels forced like because that's how, sort of how this world like operates and again it's that sort of like dream logic of the film right where like there are serious things happening there are people dying and yet mm-hmm. bruce does you know it's just like well the bigger issue is chase chose me over batman yeah <laughs> you know not like all these people dying uh you know this the second thing is like in terms of like the commercialism of this film like you know we haven't talked about it a lot but like this like the production of this movie was like a complete disaster and like yeah. like especially like they did not set out to make a good batman movie like they set out to try to make a cultural phenomenon right mm-hmm. like they were like we gotta like this is clearly for like the mtv group like we need to have commercial tie-ins we definitely want to sell a lot of toys and so it, it it you know you feel that studio influence on this movie like like you were just saying like it was like no the studio says we want to do a mcdonald's ad so mm-hmm. you have to say this line like i wonder if kilmer knew when he was doing it or if they I think that's probably one of the reasons why him and Schumacher had so many problems on set. I mean, Val Kilmer was also famously difficult to work with in this time yep. period as well. So that that obviously plays into it. But Schumacher, I, I feel really bad for Schumacher because he, unlike Burton, he is actually a Batman fan. And like he yeah. wanted to do like year one. He wanted yep. to do a serious Batman movie. And you look at some of his serious films, like, you know, um, A Time to Kill or... Um, number 23 or, or phone booth or anything like that. Like he's got the serious chops yep. or he had rest in peace to make a, a serious Batman movie that would have been true to the source material, probably kept the kind of, cause one of the things that really kind of annoys me about a lot of the Batman movies is there's, there's this kind of belief that it either has to be super realistic or it has to be like almost campy, right? There's like yeah. no yep. middle ground there. And it's like, and one of the things I, one of the few things I liked about Snyder is that he did put, he did focus on, he's like, well, this is this, you know, bizarre fantasy world and we can lean into that um, without being, but everyone else, it's like, as much as I love the Batman, one of the things that annoys me about it is we're back to the whole idea of Batman has to be in the real world. He has to be grounded. And, and I feel like Schumacher, if he had been allowed to do what he wanted to do, I think he could have given us that Batman movie that has, that right mix of the grounded nor stuff mixed with the kind of fantastical stuff. Yeah. I feel like Schumacher, like I, I really do feel like, like, like as I've listened to him over the years, talk about his experience with these movies. Like, I, I feel like you could give, you could give him like, like a Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers, Denny O'Neill era of Batman, right? Like that sort of like, like 80s Batman mm. comic book and you could get like when Batman was sort of at his most like normalized right? right where he wasn't like like before like the influence of like Miller's Dark Knight mm. really like took hold on the character where he was still functioning as like a guy who could like he wasn't like totally battered down by his like psychoses right, right. like he wasn't like like how how dark can I make my costume right how Mm. how dark can i make my world like i mean he was in like a blue and gray costume for most of that time right and it yeah they were grown-up stories they were mature stories but he was also more sort of like comfortable with with who he was and i do feel like if they had just let schumacher make the movie he wanted to make i think we probably would have got an amazing movie oh yeah absolutely i mean you know 
Grant Morrison famously called the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman, the, the hairy chested love God. And when you think about it, like <laughs> Joel Schumacher is the perfect director to handle that kind yeah. of Batman. Cause when you, cause when you, when you look at his other movies, right. When, like when you, especially the movies like that are, that are more singular, mm-hmm. right. It's something like, like something like falling down. Right. Yes. Um, it's like, yeah, like, like you could take, like he gets sort of like, like, I feel like the film, treats sort of like mental anxiety mm-hmm. as like this just like effect right right whereas like when you watch something like falling down it's like he treats like sort of mental anxiety as like an actual thing that needs to be explored right well, that's ex- that's actually what he was even with when the studio said no we can't make a year one you have to do a sequel to batman returns and has to be lighter and all that he still intended to try and delve more into the psychological stuff on it because there yep. is akiva goldsman said there is an extended cut of this movie that has not been released to the public that is much darker and much more true to what um schumacher wanted to do and much more true to the whole idea of batman forever because otherwise when in the context of just this movie that we get that title makes no sense at all right, right. but it makes a whole lot more sense in the extended cut apparently yeah, I would. I mean, I would love to see it. I mean, I know like we're not supposed to want extended cuts now in a post Zack Snyder universe, but like, I would. I would love to see it because I mean, I do think, you know, when I hear that films are like different, and I mean, I will say for like Zack Snyder's Justice League, it is a different movie mm-hmm. than the movie that got released, right? And right. and a lot and, and and to a very large extent, it's a different movie. It's a. It's definitely a more cohesive movie, and when I you know seen things like. Um, like a kingdom of heaven, like mm-hmm. the Ridley Scott movie, the director's cut of that makes that a much better movie than what we got in the theater. Or the right? director's cut of daredevil. Yeah. I, that's the next place I was going. The director's cut of daredevil. I love the director's cut of daredevil. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that, to me, that's just, that's a fantastic movie. Yeah. The one that we got in the theater, not so much. Right. right? right. And so it's like, I mean, I, I know there's, there's probably no chance we'd ever see it. I would, I would love to see it. You know, like I would. Love I mean, you never know cut. because we did get eventually, like 20, 30 years later, the Richard Donner cut of Superman yep. two. And apparently, from what Goldsman said, like the movie is basically finished. Like he's seen like a finished cut of it, so it exists somewhere in the Warner Brothers vault. Yeah, and just it, it's this just a matter era of, of Warner out. Brothers. This right, era of Warner Brothers, right? Too. Like they made a ninety million dollar Batgirl movie that we're never going to get to see because right. they'd rather take it as like a tax write off. Than- I know. You know, I can't imagine them for a, for a while investing in. I know that's getting that finished. I mean, if anybody I, at Warner I, Brothers is is listening to this, and you know, <laughs> you've got access, you know, I think people would reward you if you leak it out on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely in favor of some disgruntled or heroic employee mm. somehow getting that out to us. I would definitely love to see it. And I mean, Joel Schumacher is. I mean, he is. He's a real director. You know what I yes. mean? Like he is a legitimate real director. He has actual skill. Mm-hmm. And you know, at this in this time, he you know, he was like a he was a studio go-to guy, right? Like when you when you look at his movies, I mean, he did right what like two John Grisham movies, right? Mm-hmm. In Time to Kill, The Client, like you know, Flatliners, like you oh, know, that's he, right. He did Flatliners. I completely forgot about that. You know, Flatliners. Like, I mean, he did he did Lost Boys. Lost right? Boys, yeah. You know, so he did Saint Elmo's Fire, right? Like, you know, he he can he's got like like legitimately good films on his 
on his resume, right? He is but like he's he also, a competent guy. And he also does he can also do a lot of different things. Like he's yep. he can disappear into these movies and give you mm-hmm. a, a movie that is very much that it whereas like someone like Tim Burton, you go to Tim Burton because you want a Tim Burton movie. Right. He, he can't hide his directorial style. He can't hide like those you watch a Tim Burton movie, you don't see the credits, you know it's a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> right. And like I th- I think like like with 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 Tim Burton, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you look at like the history of Hollywood and the history of who's popular in movies, action stars tend to stay popular longer than comedians, right? Right. Like comedians have a much more limited shelf life because at some point it's like, like Will Ferrell can go to like the funniest guy in the world to like, we've heard, we've heard all this. Like we've, we've done this like five, six times now, like we don't need it anymore. And like, so you have to be in the mood for a Tim Burton movie. Mm Mm-hmm to watch a Tim Burton movie the same way you have to be in the mood for like a Will Ferrell movie to watch a Will Ferrell movie. Whereas Schumacher is, he's like a, he's a pro, right? He's a pro's pro. He can disappear in the movie. He can give you like, what do you want? Right. Right. Like, I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why the studios, especially in this time period, trusted him so much. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, Joel, we want a legal thriller. (laughs) Got it. Right. He's not going to turn a legal thriller into a Joel Schumacher movie. He's going to like make that the best legal thriller he can do. Well, also to the point about um, the comedians that made me think of Jim Carrey, because I think this is the movie really when everybody got sick of Jim Carrey's shtick, because after (laughs) this, he, he kind of backed away from that a little bit. Like he did liar, liar after this. And then um, me, myself and Irene was after this was was after this. this. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, this was definitely kind of like, I think a turning point for a lot of people were like, okay, we're, we're kind of done with this version of Jim Carrey. And yeah. he, and then eventually he had kind of reinvented himself into someone more serious, more. And that kind of gave his career more longevity, which thank God he did. But that's another thing that really annoys me is watching him as the Riddler in this movie, because you watch him in something like number 23, which is a movie I have a lot of problems with, but his performance is really yep. he, like, if you had that kind of, performance as the riddler he could do a really good job as a creepy riddler but it's just like it's they they wanted to do the jim carrey thing here yeah they they want they they wanted the zany right Mm -hmm. i mean they wanted like the mask the ace ventura jim carrey and so like you do it because i'm sure it was a massive paycheck and i'm sure he's still getting huge residuals from this movie right marlon wayne is still getting residuals for not playing robin (laughs) so yeah i'm sure jim carrey is still getting them too but yeah, it was like I'm looking at like his his filmography right now, and it was like after Batman Forever, he did Ace Ventura two, but then at, at, that was also in '95. Mm-hmm. But then the following year he did The Cable Guy, and then the following year he did Liar Liar, and then the following year he was onto The Truman Show, mm-hmm. right? And then the year after that it was Man on the Moon. So like yeah, he there was you know like growth from him, and you know mm-hmm. like I mean we were we were talking about you know, as problematic as like Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Val Kilmer were on set, like Schumacher has had nothing but good things to say about like Jim Carrey. Right. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like, well, I, mean, I think that's like why Jim... he still worked with, he worked with Jim Carrey afterwards. So like they, right. he did number 23 with number him. 23. Yeah. Um, and I think like, like Carrey is like, he's another, he's like a professional. Right. Mm-hmm. And so sort of like, what do you want from me? I'm going to give you that. Right. Yeah. This is a job. This is what I'm going to do. And then like come to work, know your lines put your performance in and like not tell your co-stars you hate them. <laughs> I mean, even well, Jim Carrey, even to this day, like I've, I was scanning through like interviews and he's 
then he was asked about like Tommy Lee Jones, like, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones hated me on the set, but I never had a problem with him. And he's like, I still don't have a problem with him. You know, yeah. I still think he's a great, great actor. I still, still think he's a, he's a good guy. And, and like, he's still like very much in that professional mode. Like, you know, and this is what, 20 years later, 20, 30 years later. Now we're talking about this. Yep. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, I feel really bad for Val Kilmer too, because I, you look at Val Kilmer and he could have made a really good Batman. I think, yeah, probably more than any other actor who had played Batman, he was the one who got the least chance to really kind of put his stamp on the character. Um, yes. Because George Clooney, he basically, for him, it was basically just a job as well. But yep. I think with um, Val Kilmer, he, he was really into the idea of playing Batman. He really wanted this role. And like even Ben Affleck, he got, he, he had, you know, some chance to put his stamp on the role. He's apparently going to be back in Flash and Aquaman too. So he's going to have more opportunities, but, Kilmer never really got that other chance to, to really put his stamp on this role. And I think that's, that's a shame. Cause I think he could have really knocked out of the park if he had been given the right material. Well, and I, I think he is somebody like if they were actually trying to make movies at this time, instead of just making like a hit, mm-hmm. right. Like this feels like, like the, this, I mean, this movie like emotionally, you know, could compare to something like Batman Begins, where it's like, when you get to the end of Batman Begins, it's like, oh, now we can have a Batman movie, right? Like, he's figured out sort of who he is. We can have, like, a legitimate Batman movie now, whereas Kilmer never got that opportunity. Like, he finally, at the end, figures out sort of who he is, and then it's like, well, you're out, and Clooney's in for the next one. Yeah, all right. Well, I think that's that's all to be said about uh, Batman Forever. It's, you gave me a lot of things to really think about, man, with going back and re-looking at this movie because <laughs> like my my impression going into this going into watching the movie last night is like oh god I, this is the movie this is the batman movie I, I i like the least and it's just like it's it's inconsistent it's you got jim carrey and tommy lee jones both trying to outdo each other's scenery eating you've got chris o'donnell as like the worst possible dick grayson he's like he's a oh, petulant 40 yeah. year old <laughs> <laughs> he's almost like the worst person He's definitely yeah. the worst person in the movie, right? Yeah, definitely. Like he's almost the worst person in any movie, you yeah. know, like. Well, and the thing that kills me is they could have had Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Cuz he was the sec he was the runner up and they and what they did was they went up to a bunch of 12-year-old kids and they showed him a picture <laughs> of Chris O'Donnell, they showed him a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio and they're like, "Who would win in a fight?" And they said Chris O'Donnell <laughs> and then that's why they cast him. And it's like we could have gotten Leonardo DiCaprio at his like babyface prime playing Robin. Yeah. And that would have been awesome. Yep. But again, um, they weren't they weren't interested in like they clearly weren't they were interested in stars, not exactly a- yeah. actors, right? They right. weren't trying to make a movie; they were trying to make an experience. And, and so, DiCaprio wasn't a star at that point, so yeah, right, yeah. Um, yep. But you know, when, but then when I was watching it last night, I was just amazed and bowled over at just like how horny this movie is. Oh yeah. And I even did a poll on Twitter asking like, okay, so this one's <laughs> obviously the horniest one. I'm like. The one with the Prince soundtrack is the least horny, (laughs) but which is hornier, Batman Returns or Batman and Robin? Um, And uh, overwhelmingly, 69% said Batman Returns, 31% said Batman and Robin is hornier, Um, which is kind of what I expected. But but Jesus Christ, I was not prepared for how horny this movie was. And then- No, I was, that that is the one thing that surprised me. Like just, just how- you know i'm sure when i watched it like you know like i said i haven't seen it in 20 years i'm sure Mm. like missed a lot of sort of like the subtext of it um but like now it was just it was and then i'm kind of like how could you miss it it is right there from the beginning you know but i mean Mm. i think you know and i think that is like you get 
you end up getting focused on sort of like the, the wrong things. And it's, you know, or, or like a very surface view of the movie is, you know, it's bat nipples and it's butt shots and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's Chase Meridian, it's Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah. But then like, okay, well, like open up your your eyes a little bit, open up your ears a little bit. Like, like look what else is going on mm-hmm. in this movie. It's just, yeah. it's a horny movie from yeah. like start to finish. And, you know, like I said, one of the reasons why I give the, I know like... <laughs> Like, I think you rated it a one and a half and I rated it. I think so. Yeah. So it's, so it's not like I'm, this isn't like I'm trying to reclaim this movie. This isn't a movie where I'm like, no, actually we've all been wrong. This is a fantastic movie. Yeah. This is not an under, under, understood masterpiece. There, there are films like that. Like I will go to the wall for like speed racer. I will, Mm -hmm. I will argue with anyone that that is a fantastic, phenomenal, better than any of the matrix movies is, is speed racer. Right. Oh, absolutely. This is is still terrible. Mm. Right. But it's I, I sort of it's it's so like it's so committed to what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is so like gorgeous to look at. And it is it is like nobody talks about the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack is phenomenal. here. I like, remember that when when it came out, the face, soundtrack but... was huge. It was like yep. this massive seller at the time. Well, I, I and I mean, I like like even just the score right mm-hmm. like like it feels like this was the film where they said like oh we had prince so let's just get a bunch of more people write songs right mm-hmm. we'll get you two because you two is like a chameleon act right where it's right. like they can what, what do you want us to what do you want us to be right like whatever the trend is they can go there and they had the seal romance the seal song, song kiss from a rose yeah yep but like it, like elliot goldsmith's like score is it doesn't get talked about and I certainly like, I mean, I had the Danny Elfman score. I have mm-hmm. the Hans Zimmer scores from like the later movies. Like I've never owned this, but like watching this, I, like there are moments in the movie where I'm like, like the movie's not just ba- the music rather. It's not just background stuff here. It's actually adding to the film. It's it actually does. a really good, like in a film where everything is in your face, the music is sort of subtly like brilliant in this. And like right. the set design, even though the set design is very like bright and in your face, like when you actually look at like, like the logic of the set design it is like it's very subtly done it is in some ways it's the most sort of like like comic book version of the city right i Mm. love how quite often when they show gotham like every building sort of has its own color right or like like the like the buildings up front are like in green and like the next level they're in yellow and the next level they're in like blue or purple or something Mm. and so it has a very you know a very like staged aspect to it and that that, again that goes back to this idea that this this isn't a city this is a set right and it it wants you to think of it as a set right Mm -hmm. the same way that like like kubrick in the shining purposely does all that sort of like you know dissonance like spatial dissonance right Mm -hmm. this film is i think the the set is part of the key and like you know at least appreciating the the good the good aspects of their or what they're trying well i mean the whole dream theory you came up with really puts this movie into a new light for me um like i can look at batman and robin and i can appreciate it more because i'm like okay this is a big budget this is not a sequel to the other movies this is a big budget version of batman 66 and it's more entertaining that way your dream theory doesn't necessarily make this movie watchable but it makes it slightly more tolerable than it otherwise would be yeah, and I, like it doesn't even necessarily make it more watchable for me either, right? right? It's sort <laughs> of like, sort of how I survive. Like I don't. This, so this is one of those movies where, like, I would love to like 
like really like this is where i miss having like an actual site where i reviewed movies right mm -hmm. or like i guarantee you like you know if if derek was still alive and he, like the ferguson theater was up and running like i would have posted my thoughts on facebook and he would have been like give me a full review right, right. and i would have yeah. i could write five thousand words on this movie the same way like i don't like the phantom meant it phantom menace i wrote five thousand words of my fantasy phantom menace review i don't mm. know why that's so hard to say now <laughs> episode one review right it was like five thousand words you mm. know and then i like write it and i'm like oh god that's like you know that's like a quarter of a short story maybe i should have just spent my time there but it's like there's so much i think going on in this film there is that, there's a lot to unpack uh, here i think yeah so i i really uh, I'm, I'm glad we picked this movie and i'm, I'm very thankful uh, that you gave me the opportunity to come well, on thanks so it. thanks so much for for coming on um if we can find the time we gotta find time to have, <laughs> you, have you back on again um, absolutely but until then uh why don't you tell people where they can find you uh so you can go to uh, themarkbusket.com that has my uh like all my writing stuff um i'm not on facebook anymore i'm on twitter though so people can find me there and really like on like i do i really am thankful like that i found letterboxd right mm. even if you know, sometimes like letterbox is like hanging out with all your crankiest film fans. <laughs> like I, I, I do sort of like love, love the idea of it. And that's where people can go to see my, my thoughts on movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically just use it for logging movies and stuff like that, but I have been enjoying seeing your reviews when they pop up on there. So oh, definitely go, go, go check those out. Um, but Mark, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on again. Uh, this is so much fun. Uh, you gave me a lot more stuff than I expected to, to think about with Batman forever. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. And, and thanks. And I'm, I'm glad we chose this instead of films that I actually like. Yeah. I think we got a very interesting discussion because this is one of those, this was the last of the Burton films that we haven't covered yet. And it's been one that I've been wanting to go back and revisit to, to kind of take another look at and see how opinions have changed over it. And, they haven't i still think it's bad but it's <laughs> but it's it's generated a lot i've found a lot more things to talk about than i ever expected oh good yeah and i had a, I had a great time talking about it with you so thank okay. you all right that does it for this episode of superhero cinephiles superhero cinephiles.com is the website super cinema pod on twitter and instagram and remember if you join us on uh, patreon you get these episodes a week in advance and you also get the superhero cinephiles book club companion podcast all of that for as little as a dollar a month Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.